Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you use that one in the pew in front of you, it should be on page uh, 1202. 1202. 1,202, James chapter 5, and we are in, church family, we're in our last two weeks of James. So uh, this week and next week, and then we're going to conclude the book of James. And uh, the week after that, I'm excited, Bill Siever is going to be bringing the word to you. Uh, He'll be sharing a little bit from their trip uh, in Africa, that's Sunday, June 4th, but he'll also be speaking to you guys out of Acts, unless, of course, uh, after this trip, the Lord says, no, Bill, you're going to speak from this. Of which, then, I, I don't know what he's going to share with you from. And then after that, we are going to spend this summer in the book of Psalms. And we're going to do a series just through the, the book of Psalms. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that because Psalms is a, is a book that we often go to uh, when we're looking for encouragement, when we're discouraged, when we're weary, when we're uh, seeking to the Lord in the midst of trial and hardship. But it's not often a book that we teach from. Uh, and so I'm really thrilled uh, to be able to be starting that with you in June. And we'll be in Psalms through the month of August. So, Lord willing, uh, we trust the Lord to use that uh, for His purposes in the life of His church. So just so you have kind of a roadmap as to where we're, where we're going. Uh But as we step into uh, really the second half of James chapter 5, we want to go back and recognize that this has been a really intense study through the five chapters of James. And it doesn't take us long to read the book of James, but uh, I've been personally reading the book of James since I was really in junior high. It's one of my favorite texts of Scripture, and I'm still learning how to live this out. So even though it's five chapters, we're talking lifetime of application in how we live these things out and how we apply these things to our lives. And we, we've focused in on uh, the importance of counting it joy when we face trial. We've focused in on uh, not just being hearers of the Word of God, but being doers of what it says. We've focused in on of the sin of favoritism or partiality and recognition of what Christ has done that unifies all of us and how that should change our perspective. We've talked about uh, the reality that faith without works is dead or useless. It's the point if I say I have faith, but it doesn't cause me to do anything with it. That's a struggle. This, this is hard. We've talked about the challenge of taming our tongue. Being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
There's warnings here against worldly thinking and boasting for tomorrow when we recognize that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So there's a need for a faith that surpasses our own understanding. There's warning against wealth that is going to disappear that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, uh, being a focus on uh, patience, um, waiting on the Lord. And this week, there's a shift that happens to, if we're honest, probably one of uh, the most... I don't want to say challenging. One of the areas we in the Western church struggle with the most. In a general sense. And it would be a a focus on prayer. A focus on prayer. So I want to ask you a rhetorical question for you to... And just right where you're at, to mull on this. When life happens, how do we respond? When life happens, how do we respond? Now, I use this wording because this has become kind of a common terminology when you face bumps in the road. That we we almost, in some senses, uh, shrug it off and go, "Ah, life happens. Right? Well, it's part of life. Disappointment, discouragement, trial, suffering, hardship, it's life. Probably most, the earliest most of us hear this is when we're young children and uh, we come to our parents because something doesn't seem fair, right? And we go, mom or dad, this, this isn't fair. And what's the response? Well, I heard a kid say it. He's heard it too. <laughs> Life's not fair, right? Life's not fair. But there's a broader question here. When life happens, what do we do? Now, there's an individual application in this, yes. But there is a broader application for us as the church. What do we do? When life happens, when things go the direction that they go, where do we go? What do we do? As I was thinking about this, I thought of three specific things that most often I think we do. The first one is when life happens, we plan. In other words, we strategize. This would be the camp that I fall into 95% of the time. Uh, You could talk to my wife about that. This is a struggle for me. Life happens, and I go, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to put in place? What do we need to organize? What do we need to... Give me the problem. I'll figure out the solution. Let's make a plan. The second thing I think that we do when life happens, we protect I grab hold of things and I pull them closer. I hold things in my hand and I grip them tighter. We see this really commonly today. 
How can I protect my assets? How can I protect my health? How can I protect fill in the blank? When life happens, we may plan or we may protect. We may do both. I'm going to plan to protect. The third one, though, is one we, I believe we see more and more and more and more. And that's when life happens, we panic. We panic. We, we lose our stuff. Oh, my goodness. The world is crumbling. Everything's falling apart. What am I going to do with this? And what if this happens? And how are we going to make ends meet over here? And how's this? We, we go into this frenzy. We spiral, and we can't get out of the spiral. Most often, we, we plan, we protect, we panic. To step off of that, we should be asking another question, not just when life happens, how do we respond, but as followers of Jesus, how should we respond? As followers of Jesus, how should we respond? And if you get nothing else out of today, I want to answer that question for you biblically. And the answer to that question is simply this. As life happens, pray. As life happens, pray. We're going to unpack this. Look at verse 13 of James chapter 5. Verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him, what? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let pray over him. Anointing him with oil of the Lord. Prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he is Committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and what? Pray for one another that you may be healed. The what? Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he what? He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he what? He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I hope just from reading that you understand why our main idea is what it is. As life happens, what? Pray, right? Pray. The very first notion of this in verse 13 is, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, most of the time, when we hear the word suffering, we add on to it all these extreme conditions. And we think of people who are intensely suffering some really heavy anguish. Or we think of times in our life where we have gone through intense pain or hurt or suffering. The problem with that is, if that's how I define what suffering looks like, then I'm really prone in my daily life to go, I'm not suffering at all. So what does that mean for me? Well, naturally speaking, if I'm not suffering at all, then eh, I don't need to pray. I'm good. The word suffering here, though, 
can also be translated affliction or even trouble. You see, there's a range of meaning in this. All of a sudden, if you read, read it through that lens, is anyone among you afflicted? Is anyone among you discouraged? And all of a sudden, it widens the swath, doesn't it? How do you respond when you're going through difficult times? How do we respond? You see, our tendency might be to pray a couple times here and there and say, you know what? This is a bad situation. I'll, I'll go to God with this. I've lost control of this, so I'm gonna, I think I'm going to pray. Uh, or we, uh, we say, God, since I can't seem to figure this out, now I'm going to trust you. Now, now I'm going to give this into your hands. But then after a couple times, if things are still challenging, do we continue? Thought process? Do, or or do, we, do we kind of let that fade away? Well, you know, I was struggling and uh, I prayed and nothing changed. I'm still struggling. I'm still having a hard time. I'm still wrestling. Too often, we pray because we want a solution. Whether that solution includes God or not. If we child, there's many times that we're praying because we just want what we want. Right? It's a temptation. At minimum, it's a temptation to go, God, I'm coming to you because I want this. And I think you're the only one who can get it, give it to me. But then when I don't get what I want, I stop going to God because I assume God isn't hearing me. When in reality, the better question I need to ask is, am I hearing God? You see how this works? Our motive to pray should not be rooted in our desire to get something. Rather, in light of what God has already given us in Christ, our motive to pray should be for God to be known in our life and trusted in our heart. I'm going to say that again. Our motive to pray should be for God to be known in our life And trusted in our hardship. It's a different motivation for prayer altogether. In verse 14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you heal. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, this is one of those passages in Scripture that every one of us has a question about. And the reason we have question about this is because I guarantee most of us who have heard this before have been in situations or known people in situations where they were physically ill, 
And they may have even taken the step to call on the leaders of the church, the elders, to come and pray over them. And then they're still sick. Well, when we come to something like that, we have a dilemma that we have to face. And we need to face these dilemmas honestly. Either God has deceived us into thinking that if I do this, this is the result, or I'm missing something. Now, here's a truth that we can rest in. God is not a deceiver. And if you want... You want affirmation of that, write down these three texts. Numbers 23.19. Numbers 23.19. Titus 1, verse 2. Titus 1, verse 2. And Hebrews 6.18. Three different texts, each one of them declaring God does not lie. God does not deceive. And in fact, if you didn't know this, that's, that's what the word Satan means. Deceiver. That's why he's called the father of lies. God has nothing to do with that. So if we determine from God's word that he's not deceiving us, then we have to come to this recognition that what is James talking about here? The second word for sick here is translated all over Scripture as weak or faint-hearted as well. Now think about that. If anyone among you is weak or faint-hearted, sick. You see how we can narrowly put something in a box and say sickness only equals illness? No, it doesn't. There are numerous times throughout my spiritual life that I have been in a state of spiritual. I am not where I be with the Lord. My spiritual health and well-being is in detriment right now. Not, not right now, but at times in my life. Where I'm not where I should be. The, the call of James here is one that says, if any of you are weak or faint-hearted or weary, call on the, the church to come around you, and the, the prayer of faith will save the one who is weary or weak. Save here, obviously, is not talking about salvation, because we can't save other people. We can't pray other people into heaven. God is the one who transforms hearts. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. But I would venture to say that most of you, at some point in your life, have experienced the spiritual renewal of coming around you and praying for you. That when, in a moment of distress and anguish, others come around and circle you and pray for you. There is something that happens that leaves me in a space that is not nearly as dark as I was when I came into that space. This is what it's talking about. And when you realize that, you go, oh my goodness, I have seen this lived out 
in my own life. I have seen the word of God fulfilled in my own being. The reality is, when we face trial and we face hardship, and we don't get the answers we want from God, our tendency oftentimes is to distance ourselves from Him. And for many people, that results in falling into sinful, unhealthy patterns. And the more we fall into those patterns, the larger toll it takes on our physical well-being. Well, the, the illustration that came to mind when I was thinking about this, because there's an exhortation here, if any among you is sick or weak or faint-hearted, let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Who is it that's taking the action here? It's the individual who is struggling, right? Uh, this is something that we do. We, we do this in our own church body. We, we go and pray over people with oil when they call on us to do so. And I've had people ask me the question sometimes, well, have you, have you gone over with the elders and anointed this person with oil? I, I will say they haven't called us. Why is that significant? Because if we don't ever get to a place of wanting spiritual renewal, then we, we're not actually praying in faith. The person struggling needs to be in a space of saying, I know the Lord is the only one who can bring me out of this pit. He is the only one who can save me from this distress. But there's the, the illustration I want to go to. Is you're walking through a jungle and you're in really, really nasty terrain. It's not fun. And you look over and there's a clearing over here that seems to be a clearer way, but it's off the path you've been given. And, and so you look over here and you go, I think I'm going to take this way. It, it looks nicer. And I'm, I'm going to go that way and get into it and we find ourselves in quicksand. Now, if you don't know much about quicksand, one thing you, you find is the more you try to deal with the situation on your own, the worse it gets. The more you move, the more you sink. The more you try to get yourself unstuck, the more stuck you become. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm going... That's what happens when we just kind of go internal in the midst of our struggles. And we say, I'm going to deal with this on my own. I'm going to do this my own way. And I might pray to the Lord that he would just deliver me. The Lord may be saying, you have a family of people that you need to call on. You have people who are willing to help you. But you have to humble yourself and ask for help. Family, we are terrible at this. We really are. I am terrible at this. Because, and if we step back and we ask why, the only reason why is because I don't want people to know that I'm struggling. I don't want people to know that I'm having a hard time. You know what? In ten years of ministry, the, the points where I have seen the most freedom and burden lifting come off of people is when they finally realize, I just need to ask for help. You realize that the very gospel, the good news that we proclaim, 
depends on you realizing you can't do it yourself. Salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, not of works so that you can't boast. It begins, the journey begins by us saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. The same is true when we are weak or faint-hearted, struggling. Church family, we have an obligation to call on our, our brothers and sisters to say, I'm struggling. And then when someone calls on us in that way, we, we have a responsibility, family. We have a responsibility to come around and to, to pray, to trust the Lord. And be the support system that walks with the person through the trial. That's, that's what the church is supposed to look like. It really is. But it takes two dynamics. It takes us being willing to say, help! I'm sinking! And it also takes others being willing to say, I'm here! And I'll be here. Now, I want to preface something. This way means that we should not pray for those who are physically sick. Nor does it mean that God cannot heal. He can and He does. But if we are dependent on an act of ourselves to bring healing, rather than the power of God, then we have lost what is truly lasting. For even in the physical healing of a moment, eternity is still at stake. Eternity is still the most important reality that we must cling to. Instead, we ought to recognize the daily need for us to seek out and find rest in our Creator. Whether that be in joy or sorrow, gladness or pain, Prayer lifts our weary heads from the pit of despair and reminds us that God is bigger. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is bigger. Now, in the rest of this text, we really have our application for the morning. The application, recognizing in verse 15, the prayer of faith, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. We, we can cling to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 for reinforcement of that, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? If people come around me and I'm in a state of spiritual weakness and weariness and sickness, and in that moment of fellowship, I share with my brothers and and sinned in my life and strayed from the Lord, there is healing in that. That's promised in 1 John chapter 1. And therefore, in verse 16, this exhortation comes in. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Family, we are not perfect people. We should not act as if we're perfect people. It's a lot easier to pretend we're perfect people. Because here's the reality, okay? When you confess your sin to other people, 
there will always be the risk that they break your trust. Some of you have experienced that. We don't confess our sins to one another in order that we can look better to them. We confess our sins to one another in obedience to God's Word that we might be spiritually rejuvenated and fix our eyes on Jesus. There's a difference. There's a difference. But it's not just confessing our sins to one another. Pray for one another. So if you want a first couple of points of application, confess your sins to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make that a habit. Why? That you may be healed. And then there's this statement. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I can't tell you. I'm going to correct something here. Okay? I can't tell you the number of times someone will come to me and they will say something like, well, you should have Matt pray. He's basically a professional Christian. No, I'm not. That is not what this is, okay? Here's what's true. If anyone is in Christ, you have been declared righteous. If you have trusted Jesus as the only way to the Father, you have been made righteous with Christ. What does that mean according to James? It means you have the same authority in Jesus' name to pray that I do. You do not have to call on myself or any of our other pastors in order to effectively pray over your brothers and sisters in Christ. I love when I get to do that over you, family. I love doing that, but I long for all of us to love doing that. What would it look like if we became a people who so recognized the power and authority through the name of Jesus... That every one of us sees the potential for us to faithfully be ministers of the gospel and bring a hope that is found in Christ. So when it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working, the righteous person is the one who's in Christ. And it gives this example of Elijah. Recognize that it prefaces this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah And he prayed. Here's, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain, earth and bore its fruit. Pray fervently as another point of application in this and pray faithfully verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick when we pray to the lord do we believe the lord will hear our prayer not do we believe the lord will give us what we want James talked about that earlier when he said, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. 
does that not describe so often how we pray? God, I want this. I want you to do this. I would like this done. We have to shift our attitude towards what prayer is, family. Prayer is an opportunity for us to align ourselves with God and His purposes, not to somehow align God with ours. There's four ways that we can pray wrongly that I just want to mention that I wrote out as I was thinking about this. Don't pray to be seen by others. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. Don't stand on the street corners and pray before men because if you do that, the only reward you get from that is that men see you and may say something to you. That says you've received your reward in full. Don't pray just to say that I prayed. I call that the, I call that the check, check a box mentality. I prayed. Check that box. Don't pray because I want to get what I want. Selfish motive. We just talked about that. And probably the most common reason we pray, don't pray because it's what I've always done. I've always done it this way. If that's my singular motivation for doing this, it's the wrong motivation. Back in 2016, um, I found I found that a quote that I that I made in a message that I preached, and it was around the same time of year. And I read it this last week and I wept because I thought, my goodness, how easy it was for me to speak those words in 2016 and fail to live them out myself. Here's what, here's what I had said in my message. I said, I guarantee you, remember this is 2016, before anything of the last several years has happened, I guarantee you that unknown times lie ahead. We have no idea what's going to happen when we step out of these doors. None of us do. When the unexpected happens, whether it be good or bad, how are we going to react? You know, the worst thing we can do, knowing that difficult times are coming, is to not prepare ourselves for how we're going to react in those difficult times. And yet... We tend to be so unprepared that when difficult times happen, we are left there going, what do I do? And yet God's word is so clear. When life happens, the first place we should go, church family, is prayer. Not the last resort. Not the check a box and move on. Pray. Then, here's the hard part. Waiting. I was having a conversation about this with a couple other brothers in Christ, and I, I said, I'm really challenged that we as a church need to grow in our ability to pray and wait. And there's two things in the Western world that we're really bad at. Praying and waiting. Right? Church family, I don't want us as a church body 
to step into something that is of our own making. And say, we're going to go do this. And we're going to accomplish these things. And we're going to do X, Y, and Z. If that's not what the Lord would have us do. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prayerfully waiting on the Lord. To tell us what, where we should go and what we should do. It's really easy to kind of pump everyone up. And say, I've got this great idea. Let's go do it. It's another thing to say, God set all this in motion and specifically purposes us for His glory. Lord, would you reveal to us what that looks like? That we would be a culture of people who consistently pray and come back to the Lord and say, Lord, we seek you. We want your will. We want your purposes. We want your help. We want to fix our eyes on you. Help us to do that, God. Unite us together. Cleanse us, Lord. Purify us. And then wait and pray and wait and pray and wait. And when God does say, we're going to, you're to do this, that we go and we do. Untethered from the world, unburdened from the sinfulness of our flesh, and unleashed for His glory. And like we sang before, if God is for us, who can be against us? How do we have that mindset in the midst of intense trial and hardship? We pray. And we fix our eyes on the Lord and we pray. We run with endurance the race before us and we pray. And we encounter the spiritual force being on the armor of God as Ephesians 6 we pray. And we trust the Lord. You see how this works? For that to be who we are. But it starts with us in humility saying, I can't do it. I need help. I can't do this on my own. So the worship team is going to come, and and here's where I want to transition us just into a time of prayer, okay? Because it would be absolutely foolish of us to have a message on prayer and then say, hey, see ya. Time to go. Check the box. But here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to play this song. I want to challenge you in this that I believe there's some of you today who would resonate with the reality that you are weak and faint-hearted and you're here today and you're just discouraged. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but right where you're at, if that's you, I'm just going to challenge you in a minute to just put your hand up and here's where the challenge for the rest of you is. Because the, the exhortation here is confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. If someone around you puts their hands up, your job is to pray over that person. And if you don't know their name, ask them what their name is. Okay? And I, it doesn't matter how big or small you think your burden is in comparison to other people. If you're in a place of being spiritually depleted and you're not sure where to turn, we we turn to prayer. But we don't turn to prayer just by ourselves. We turn to prayer together, corporately, for one another, in light of who God is and what He's done, the hope He's given us in Jesus. And so regardless of where you're at, if that's you right now, and you're going, I'm just, I'm depleted. I want you to just put your hand up. 
and the, the people around as we as the worship team plays this song. I just want you to pray. However long it takes, I just want you to pray. And if if there's someone that the Lord has laid on your heart to pray for, get up out of your seat and I want you to go pray for them. May we live out what we recognize God's Word says should be. And so in this time, I want to give you the freedom to just pray over one another. Pray over people. And if you aren't sure what to do because there's not really anyone around you, just pray. Open to the Psalms and pray. Pray Scripture. Pray for our country. Pray for the lost. Pray against sin in your own life. And let's just pray and trust the Lord and allow Him to rejuvenate. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us. And then I just want you... If you're, if you're someone who's in that state, I, I just want to encourage you to put your hand up and we're going to pray for one another, okay? All right, Father, fix your eyes on you. Help us to trust you to be a people of prayer, knowing that you've already won the battle. Lord, in light of these things, may you convict us of how we don't prioritize this. And so often take this into our own hands. So Lord, use even this time here of prayer to encourage and equip us as followers of Christ to step into a world that needs hope. We've found that in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.